Support for this podcast comes from Canva. When you look good, you feel good. But when your presentations look great, it can feel like you're walking on a cloud. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. Start with a designer-made template. Use it as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. So the dog is still on holiday, so in place of office hours, we are bringing you our conversation with Bill Keller, the former New York Times executive editor, the founding editor of The Marshall Project, and author of the book, What's Prison For? Punishment and Rehabilitation in the Age of Mass Incarceration. We discuss with Bill prison reform, the role race plays in incarceration, and what surprised him most about the prison system while researching his book. We'll be back with our regular scheduled programming next week, so please send in your questions about business, big tech, investing, career pivots, or whatever else is on your mind. You can do so by sending a voice memo to officehours at profgmedia.com. Again, that's officehours at profgmedia.com. Okay, here's our conversation with Bill Keller. Bill, where does this podcast find you? Finds me at home in Southampton, New York. Good for you. So, Let's bust right into it. It's no secret that the U.S. loves locking people up. We rank ahead of El Salvador, which is the world's or has the world's greatest homicide rate, and Cuba, an authoritarian regime that imprisons people for pre-criminal dangerousness. That's an exact quote. So, Bill, how did we get here? Well, it's interesting that for most of the 20th century, we we weren't here. I mean, we we had a relatively high, but not outlandish level of incarceration. It was about 100 people locked up for every 100,000 population. That all changed in the 70s. About 1990, it was it was five times that rate. And it's a combination of factors. There was rising crime. There were politicians who were making an opportunity out of rising crime. There was press sensationalism. But there was also uh, of the, the Black Empowerment Movement, which had a lot to do with the intensity of the backlash. There are lots of factors that go into how many people we incarcerate and what the crime rate is, but it was was sort of a perfect storm of political opportunism, white backlash, and some actual increase in crime. My understanding is it was sort of a bipartisan effort, that it was Nixon who felt like uh, he was just angry at people of color, and then the and then the Clinton administration, the crime bill felt like a, a popular thing at the time. But this hasn't been. I mean, this is, and then the profit motive, right? It feels like it's just been the perfect storm that's taken us to sometimes ten or fifteen times the incarceration rate. Am I missing anything other than politics and a profit motive? No, I don't think you're missing anything at all. You're absolutely right that it was a bipartisan effort. Even before the '94 crime bill, there was an '86 piece of legislation that was sponsored by Tip O'Neill, response to the crack epidemic, so-called, and established incredibly draconian penalties for possession of crack cocaine relative to possession of 
powder cocaine, which was a, more of a white man's drug. So let's talk about race. You can't talk about incarceration without talking about race. Can you speak to this? Yeah. Black people make up about 13% of the population of the United States. They make up 40% of the incarcerated population. That's got a, a long history going back really to, to Jim Crow. The 13th Amendment, which, which abolished slavery, had a loophole in it. It abolished slavery except for people who've been convicted of serious crimes. And so, particularly in the South, they took advantage of that to create crimes that, along the lines of loitering that would make uh, black men particularly vulnerable to arrest, then they'd send them off to be con- convict labor. That's no longer going on to quite the same extent, although there is, a, there is a fair amount of profiteering that goes into the criminal justice system. Your book does a great job explaining what goes on behind the scenes of the nation's prisons. Can you share what you've learned about what goes on on the inside? Yes. Um, first thing that, that I learned that I think everybody who spends any time in prisons is struck by it's the incredible waste of human potential. There are obviously people who deserve to be locked up who are dangerous criminals, but the the number of people who, if they just had a sense of purpose, would, would be productive citizens is, is, is really shocking. And we lock them up for 20 years and make no effort to equip them to be citizens in the free world. Too little training, so they come. They emerge with no skills. They're alienated, brutalized, and stigmatized. The, num- the number that shocked me most is that upwards of six hundred thousand people are released from prisons in America every year. It just seems to be such a stark choice. You, you're going to release them uh, as brutalized and stigmatized individuals with no skills, or you're going to try to make them be good neighbors and citizens. And what are your thoughts, if there were two or three things, if you, I imagine you're, you're hearing from elected representatives who want to talk about prison reform, what are the two or three things you would suggest would have the biggest impact? Education is one. That's, that's one where the data is just unmistakable. The RAND Corporation has done periodic surveys of recidivism rates for people who have various levels of education while they're incarcerated, and the, the numbers are startling. So that's, education would be high on my list. So education programs while in prison, taking class, getting certification. Yeah. And is this just general? Is this just the benefit of taking classes and learning, or is it getting some sort of certification that increases your economic viability post-prison? It's both. It's a significant portion of the people who are incarcerated are functionally illiterate. So a lot of it is just getting basic GED education. But the, the data shows that the higher you go in the educational totem pole, the less the, the likelihood that you're going to commit another crime or be arrested for another crime. So that would be one. I, and I write in the book a lot about these experiments that are based on Norway and Germany. And of course, we're not Norway. You know, they're a homogeneous, oil-rich welfare state. But there's a philosophy that goes into the more enlightened European incarceration systems, which is that your punishment is that you're deprived of freedom. Your other rights stay intact, and you make a conscious effort during the time somebody's incarcerated to address whatever issue it was that made them commit a crime in the first place, whether it's lack of skills or mental illness or drug addiction. And and you start with that the minute somebody arrives in prison, and you try to send them back out into the world with the equipped to deal with the challenges that life presents. And what do you think of 
prison release programs. It, well, what would happen if we took our, I don't know if it's 2 million, and took a third of our prisoners that were you know, convicted of drug crimes, nonviolent criminals, and had some sort of massive prison release program? Yeah, that that doesn't solve the problem of what you do with them when they are incarcerated. But if the if the basic problem is mass incarceration, then and it is we're we're many times what other developed countries do in terms of the population. Yeah, we know we we can reduce the population by a third. I would think without a great deal of difficulty, but it would require political will, transition services for people who are getting out. And money, you know, you can't really fix the prisons by defunding them, much as that slogan sounds appealing. You you have to invest in training staff to treat inmates as human beings and, and citizens, not as numbers or menaces. We'll be right back. When your work presentations and docs look good, you look good. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. You can start with a designer-made template, then use that as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Or get a huge head start with AI-powered Canva presentations and docs. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides and text in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever work task you need to get done. Look, we all need to visually communicate at work. Canva makes it easy to get your point across while looking professional. And at the end of it all, that stunning Canva presentation is going to make you look good. Wow any audience and finish your work faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. So you you mentioned Norway. Um, How does incarceration, not only incarceration rates, but how does incarceration, what actually happens inside the prison, differ across the world? Well, the most progressive countries, which would be the Scandinavians and and Germany, first of all, the prisons are not quite so obviously cages as they are in the United States. They're more likely to be like college dormitories. The biggest difference of all is the staffing. To become a corrections officer in a United States prison, you're probably going to get a few weeks of training, mostly to do with crowd control and self-defense. In Germany, to become a correctional officer which is a prestigious and desirable job, you do two years of college-level education that includes some courses in human rights, law, and psychology, 
and your job is is to make them better. Talk a little bit about the difference between men's and women's prisons. Well, 90% of the people who are incarcerated in this country are men, so that probably only natural that that's the template for designing prisons. Women's prisons tend to be offered less robust academic programming, and it's likely to be stereotyped beautician training or things, things that are sort of stereotypically women's work, if they have programming at all. One of the things that struck me, whenever I talked to women who were incarcerated or, or who had been incarcerated, I'd always ask them about what they thought of Orange is the New Black, which is probably the most common American source of information about women's prisons. And they said that, you know, that's television, it's drama, it's, they emphasize the lurid and the sensational. But one thing that Orange is the New Black gets right, according to women who've been there, is that while men's prisons tend to organize along racial lines or gang lines for self-protection, women's prisons tend to organize along family lines. You create a, a sort of prison family to study with, to commiserate with, and that becomes very important to women. And, and it, it gives the authorities a, a lever. They can punish you by removing you from your family and putting you in isolation or transferring you to another prison, which tends to be a, a, a way of enforcing order in the prisons. The most striking thing, women, women have babies, and their studies suggest that hundreds of women have babies in prison every year. In most cases, they're separated from their children at birth um, and sent either to family or foster care. And that means that both the women miss the opportunity to develop their maternal skills. The babies don't get the kind of bonding that's essential in the first year of life. There's a place outside of New York, Bedford Hills, which has uh, a nursery where women can keep their children with them for up to 18 months. And there's some pretty compelling research that shows that this is healthy for both the mothers and the children. Uh, Bill, in five years, if, you're, if your book had a real impact, what would you hope to see happen? What are you hoping to accomplish with this book? I'd like to have people be talking about it, not the book, but the situation in prison. It should, we had around, around the Obama years, birth of a conservative prison reform movement which led to some not sweeping reforms, but led made it safer for a politician to advocate humane treatment, education programs, college funding, and so on. And now we're everything in Washington and in state capitals as well. It's polarized and paralyzed. I, I'd like to I'd like to see us get past that and get back to where we were in the earlier part of the century, the sort of the the Obama years, where there's a bipartisan acknowledgement that. You can lower the recidivism rate by paying attention to what people do while they're in prison and what is done to them. And what was the biggest surprise when you were conducting your research? What was sort of the myth or the preconception that you had that was dispelled? I think there were two things that surprised me. One of them, which I've already mentioned, was just the waste of human potential. I I taught for a little while at Sing Sing as a volunteer, and I had 16 students in my class, and I was just blown away by they they all had a sense of purpose they were thoughtful they were engaged they followed the news now not everybody in prison is so evidently redeemable but i just kept thinking you know these people had been given an opportunity to be become entrepreneurs they would have been really good at it the other thing that struck me was how many people there are who are trying to fix things i talked to top corrections officials in several states that have been trying to 
experiment with different ways of rehabilitation. I, I regard them as fairly heroic because they do it against budget and political challenges that are almost insurmountable. Bill Keller is the author of What's Prison For? Punishment and Rehabilitation in the Age of Mass Incarceration. He is also the founding editor-in-chief of The Marshall Project, an independent nonprofit news organization focused on crime and punishment in the U.S. He previously spent 30 years at The New York Times as a Pulitzer Prize winning correspondent, editor, and op-ed columnist. He joins us from his home in Southampton. Bill, thanks for this important work. It's something that really demands or really warrants more attention. It's, it's a, it feels like it's a stain on what is America over the last 50 years. So thank you for your good work. Oh, thank you. Thanks to Canva for their support. You're busy, there's no denying that, and we all wish for just a little more time in the day. So why not let Canva help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? You can get started with their AI-powered presentations. Just describe what you want with a few words and Canva will generate amazing slides in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever task you need to get done. Finish your deck faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work.